All right, we are on a series called Summertime's, Summertime Blues. This is part two, and uh, excited to have you guys. We're talking about overcoming discouragement. And Adam, if you guys could just turn on just a, just a little bit. Um, man, this band is off the chain, buddy. Uh, I tell you what, some of you are like, am I in a church or am I in a club? We want to leave you guessing. Because you know what? We're not here to reach other Christians. We're here to reach the lost. And those are far from Jesus. And we are unapologetic about that, who we are. Because the methods can change, but the message doesn't. And that's what it's all about. We keep it about Jesus Christ. And um, you know what? This is a place you can belong before you believe. And I just want to let you know that uh, I got the mic today instead of the lapel, so you know it's on like Donkey Kong, okay? So buckle up, buckle up. You don't know what's going to happen today. Um, if you're on social media, hashtag Summertime Blues, and uh, you can send an email to info at bridgechurch.cc, and we'll get you the notes. I have to believe that one of the reasons you're in church today is because you don't want to go through life on survival mode. Would you agree? You don't want to just coast through life. Have you noticed that God designed us so we're not content with what we already know or what we can already do? He designed us to grow, to act, and to thrive. We want to be challenged. We want adventure. I love, as, I love an adventure. We want to be heroes by making a difference. God created us with this healthy discontentment. The problem is that the universal and contagious disease called discouragement often destroys this wonderful God-given drive in us. When discouragement comes along, if we're not intentional and we're not aggressive, often destroys this wonderful God-given drive in us. When discouragement comes along, if we're not intentional and aggressive in our response, it can become a cancer to the soul. It can destroy our dreams and steal away the joyful and fruitful life that God intended us to live. Discouragement is something that all of us have in common. The only difference between your discouragements and the person next to you is how severely and how often it's going to hit you. When you think about it in some situations, discouragement can be worse than depression. Discouragement can be worse than depression. Now, when I say that, I'm not underestimating the destructive power depression in any way can have. And I know many of us have dealt with depression, and I've, I've, uh, I've dealt with it a little bit throughout my life as well. But depression can be diagnosed, and you can get some help with that. Discouragement can hide, though, and can become this deceptive joy killer within us that's like a slow-growing mold. It can creep into every corner of your mind, and put a layer of pessimism and negativity over everything. And that does that describe some of you? Just pessimistic and negative. You know, maybe 
you know, back in the day, you, you, you weren't like that. But life has left you a little jagged. And, and you find yourself that way about everything now when, when you weren't that way. Another characteristic of discouragement is that it comes and goes. It can come like a quick wind and then it's gone all of a sudden. For others, discouragement can come like a hurricane and wipe you out completely, man, and affect everything in your life. And, and your discouragement even can affect your family and your relationships and, and those closest to you. If you want to read about discouragement, a great place to start is the Psalms. It's the largest book in the Bible. There's 150 Psalms, and, and I encourage you, some of you are like, man, I, I want to start reading my Bible more, and, and I'm just not sure where to begin. I encourage you to check out Psalms and, and read a Psalm a day. And, and, and man, I, I tell you what, you're going to be, you're gonna be so encouraged, and, and it's just going to relate to you and, and where you're at. So, so read a Psalm a day, and uh, maybe, you know, instead of killing time and, and being on social media, maybe just one Psalm, one Psalm, and, and, and see what God can do through that. Now, Psalms is in the Old Testament. It's in the stiff part of your Bible. Uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, you know, we go, go to the New Testament, and we think about the Old Testament. We're like, ah, there's not, you know, not a whole lot for me in the Old Testament. And, uh, and so it's not as uh, well read as the New Testament. But, man, the Old Testament is so rich. There are four categories in Psalms. There's wisdom. There's thanksgiving. The royal Psalms, songs about the king. And the fourth category is the largest category, the Psalms of Lament, which means weeping. So the largest uh, portion of Psalms, which is the largest book of the Bible, is about lamenting, is about weeping, is, a, is about, uh, you know, David wrote the majority of the Psalms is about a man that, that goes through all the emotions in life that we go through. And you know what's incredible is that we serve a God in Jesus Christ that has gone through every emotion that we go through. And, and, it's, and it's incredible that our God, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, that our God knows exactly what you're going through. Exactly what you're going through. And there's nothing that you will ever face in this life that he can't relate to. That he can't relate to. <clears throat> Think about this. It's the largest part of the Bible, and this tells us that discouragement is a universal problem no matter where a person is spiritually. So whether you're an unbeliever and you're dis you have discouragements, whether you're a new believer and you have some discouragement in your life, you could be a seasoned and, and mature believer and still have discouragements in your life. <clears throat> Psalms 142 is an example. Like most of the Psalms, this one was written by David. And uh, let me give you the setting a little bit here in Psalms 142. He had King David. He had everything in his life that he could have ever wanted. And now he's lost it. Maybe some of you can relate to that. You, maybe, maybe you had everything that, that you could have ever wanted. And all of a sudden, it's gone. It's gone. Maybe it could be a marriage, maybe it could be your family, a, a job, maybe dreams. Maybe some of you had these, these big, bold dreams, and all of a sudden, they're, they're gone. And you're like, what, what do I do now? Where do I go? So David is on the run from a jealous king. When he writes this psalm, he's hiding in a cave. 
dodging bats, literally. That's a little freaky. He's complaining, and he's crying out to God. He's crying out to God, and, and uh, some of you are like, well, I'm not going to cry out to God in here or at home or anywhere because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Let me tell you something. It's too late. There's something freeing about admitting you're a little crazy. And uh, I'm a little crazy. And I'm glad that I can be myself up here. Let's, so let's, let's read this in Psalms 24-2. When we're, we're reading from the message, and it says, I cry out loudly to God. Loudly I plead with God for mercy. I spill out all my complaints before him and spell out my troubles in detail. As I sink in despair, my spirit's ebbing away. You know how I'm feeling. You know the danger I'm in. You know the traps hidden in my path. And, and let me just pause there for a second. David is saying, God, you know the danger I'm in. You know the traps. You know what's going on in my life. God knows what you're going through right now. He knows, and he cares, and he cares. Let me just step to the side here. I am intense. So when I talk, when I say that God cares about you, it's just because I'm intense, and so what I'm, how, I'm, how I'm saying that. Uh, uh, may not reflect like you're like yelling at me that God cares about me. Okay, so um, so I just want to give you you know a little heads up. You know, like God loves you like crazy, and I'm just a little intense. All right, so that always maybe doesn't come across. So just want to give you just want to help the new people out here that are a little scared of me right now. All right, he says, look right, look left. There's not a soul who cares what happens to me. Some of you feel like that way? There's not a person that gives a rip about me right now, even family. And to me, I feel powerless and alone. That's what he's saying. I'm up against it with no exit. I'm bereft. I'm, I'm mourning. I'm, I'm left alone. I call out. God, I call out. You're my last chance, my only hope for life. Oh, listen, please listen. I've never been this low before. Rescue me from those who are hunting me down. I'm no match for them. Get me out of this dungeon so I can thank you in public. Bring my soul out of this prison. Bring my soul out of adversity I'm facing. Your people will form a circle around me, and you will bring me showers of blessing. Man, that's good stuff, buddy. And why do I read it that way? Because that's how David wrote it. I think sometimes we read our Bibles and we take out all the emotion. It's not a textbook. This is life. This is eternity. This is, this is what people are going through. You know, this last part, I, I think about, you know, your people will form a circle around me and you will bring me showers of blessing. There's another translation that talks about how, or there's um, uh, some notes that says about an expectant word of confidence. Like, 
David is crying out, but he's also expecting God to come through. He says, because of your goodness to me, I will overcome. Because of your goodness to me, I will overcome. Some of you question that. Some of you question God's goodness because all you can think about is your situation right now. You say, goodness, do you know what I'm going through? And that's what the enemy wants you to focus on. He doesn't want you to focus on God's goodness. He wants you to focus on all your problems, all the wrong things that are going on in your life. You know, some of you are saying, well, wasn't David a man after God's own heart? What's, what's this about? Man, this dude's jacked up. I'm jacked up, man. We're all jacked up. If you don't think you're jacked up, you're more jacked up than you think you are. Say uh, down here in the south, you're a hot mess, right? <laughs> Listen, this is why David was a man after God's own heart. And these are, uh, I came across this, uh, so an, an online resource that I go to quite often. It was just so good. And it talked about why David was a man after God's own heart. And it said, number one, that, that David had absolute faith in God. Absolute faith in God. Let me give you an example. David, probably a teenage boy. Remember the story of David and Goliath? All the Israelites are cowering, and David's like, come on, let's rock and roll, baby. God delivered me from the lion. This, guy, this cat ain't nothing. That's the Jeremy translation in that. <clears throat> so he's like, bring it. I'm ready. And he kills Goliath, who was huge. He seems nine foot tall. Kind of like my height, you know? And so he had absolute faith in God. Number two, David was a man after God's own heart because he loved God's law. And Psalm 119 says, probably scaring some of the kids in here. Uh, Psalm 119 says, for I delight in your commands because I love them. Listen, you want to know how you can tell you're committed to God? Because... You care more about what God says than the pleasures of this world. That's how you can tell you're in love with God and you're living for him. Even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. Because, man, it's, it's hard to obey sometimes. You know, it's, we're still living in the flesh. We're, we're, we're still selfish. But is your desire to love God more than to live for the things of the world? That's how you can tell that you delight in God. Number three, David was truly thankful. He never forgot to thank God for everything he had. And, and I try to practice this in my life. And yeah, I got my moments and whatnot, but, but man, I thank God for every single thing in my life. I mean, I go down even to the finest details of thanking God. I mean, there's so many times that I'm, I'm taking a, a, a warm shower and I thank God for the warm water. And if you've ever been a missionary anywhere, you thank God for when you get warm showers. Or if we've got a lot of military around here where you didn't always have hot showers, you thank God for some hot showers. Number four, David was truly repentant. Truly repentant. What does that mean? He admitted his sin. He asked God for forgiveness, but he repented. Repentant means action. 
It doesn't, it's, you know, forgiveness is, you know, asking forgiveness and admitting what you did was wrong. But then it's making changes so you don't keep on doing that. And I think that's sometimes where we forget uh, to practice in our lives. You know, we ask God for forgiveness. We admit the sin. But, but we keep on putting ourselves in situations that we know we're not supposed to be in. But here's, a, here's, here's, here's the cool thing about that. Even when you do that, God still loves you. He still loves you. Even when you continue to put yourself in situations you're not supposed to be in. Even when you continue sinning and you're his kid, he still loves you. Parents, if you got an older child and they keep on doing some dumb stuff and they're 30 years old and they're still acting like a 15-year-old, so I got some amens up in here. Hopefully they're not sitting next to you. I'm just kidding. But are you going to love them any less? No, you're not. You're going to keep on pursuing them. How much more loving is God towards us? Listen, this morning I'm getting ready for church. <coughs> and, uh, you know, I was getting all dressed up, you know, like here. And, uh, <coughs> and all of a sudden I hear a cry out in the front yard. I got four kids. You never know what that means. Um, and Graydon comes and he said, Cash is stuck in the tree fort. All right. So we got a tree fort. And it's up, it's up decent high. Uh, pa built it. And uh, all of a sudden, Cash is not only stuck in the tree fort, but he's stuck on the roof of the tree fort. He's, uh, you know, five and a half and, and uh, right here. So. Uh, yeah, when you're pastor's kid, you get a lot of sermon illustrations, buddy. I'm glad my dad wasn't a pastor, listen, because he could talk about me. He'd have a story every single week about me uh, if he was a pastor. But uh, he's stuck up in a tree. And so I got to get the ladder, the extension ladder, and I got to climb up there like a fireman saving a kitty. And I, and I bring him down. Guess what? It's not the first time Cash has been stuck in a tree or any of my other kids. How would, how, how cruel would it be if I just see him in there, get in my car and say, I'll see you at church, buddy, and just drive on by? Some of you think that's how God is, man. You keep on putting yourself in a situation that you know you shouldn't be in, and you're thinking, God, he's giving up on me this time. I keep on doing it to myself. He, should, he don't love me anymore. That's not true, man. That is not true. Because we have a God that his love is so great that we can't even fathom. And he went to the cross and died for our sins. And he could have given up, but he didn't. If he didn't give up at the cross, he's not going to give up on you right now. And that's a word for somebody right now. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. But you know what? We need to be real before the Lord. I hope it can be said about me, Jeremy John, Graydon White, that I was real before God and men, just like David was. You need to get real before God and men. You need to get real before God, and you need to get real within your church. Listen, man, there's too much fakeness going on. Why? Listen, this is a sinking hospital, man. This is a hospital. I love it that there is a blue hospital sign pointing to our church right out in front of the road here. 
I don't think that was by accident either. This is not a club. This is not a museum. This is a place where broken people can come, where broken believers can come, get healing, and, and, and be an extension of Jesus Christ to someone else. And now I'm glad to be a part of that church. Listen, I'm not even halfway done yet. You better pack a lunch. Let's have someone bring some, bring some lunch for us. Jimmy John's. Speedy fast. Notice who David is crying out to. He's crying out to God. Sometimes we talk to people more about our problems than we do God. There is no one that loves and cares, cares for you more than God, and no one that can help you overcome whatever you're facing like God can. <clears throat> unload on God. And I unload on God, man. I unload. He created me. I get real before him. I weep. I cry. I get, I get angry. I mean, I am, man, I just read the Psalms. I'm like, that's me, man. That's me. That's me crying out to God. I unload on God. But when I end, it, when I end that prayer, or whenever I end crying out to God, I always say, God, but I know you love me. And I know that you're good. I know that you love me, and I know that you're good. Hashtag this. If you don't know how good God is, then you don't know who God really is. If you don't know how good God is, then you don't know who God really is. Let's look at two ways discouragement has the potential to devastate us. Number one, discouragement prevents you from living the victorious life God intended for his followers. Discouragement blurs and distorts your perspective on everything, clouding your overall mood with negativity. You know, there's, all, all, there's apps everywhere. I know there's an app where uh, it can make you like, turn you like into an old person. You know, no, per, no, no offense, old people in here. But... Uh, uh, and then there's another app where it can switch faces. What's that called? What's the app called? What is it? Swap face. Yeah. And, um, and I've seen some of those. And some of, them, some of you do it with your kids and you. And it's freaky, man. It's freaky. But it dis- that's what discouragement does. It distorts us from, from reality. It distorts us from what's really happening behind the scenes, from what's really going on. Discouragement, when not dealt with aggressively and intentionally, will steal your joy. Being joyless will eventually turn you into a critical, negative, pessimistic person. And the result will be that you will become difficult, if not impossible, to be around. Who wants that in their life, man? Like, I know we are created for a community. We are created to have other people around us. You were created to have to be in a church body. And anyone says that, man, I don't need to go to a church building and I don't need a church body to be a Christian. Well, part of that's true. But the other part is I can guarantee you that person's not growing. That person is just living a selfish life because we were meant to be poured into and to pour into others as well. Listen, I want people to be around me. You know, you don't want to be that guy in Walmart 
when someone knows you and they're going down an aisle and they see you, they're like, ooh. You know? Ultimately, the most cherished relationship in your life can be damaged or even destroyed if you let discouragement take control of your life. Losing these precious relationships only feeds the discouragement. So you're, you're, you're such a discouraged person, you're, you're such a pessimist that no one wants to be around you, and then, and then, and then, then you just continue to lose friendships and relationships. And it's just this downward spiral. Discouragement that goes unaddressed will keep you from celebrating life and enjoying precious moments that you would never get back. You know what? I see this happening in a lot of young parents. I see this happening in a lot of young moms that are just discouraged right now. Um, young parents, I'm, I'm in your world, man, so I'm real sensitive to that. This is, this is some hard times, man. It's, it's exhausting times, especially if you got more than one, uh, let alone four. Uh, some of you are Amish and have six or some. But uh, I love Amish people. I love them. They're all my neighbors back home. Um, but some of you are really discouraged right now, and you're like, man, I have no time for friends because I'm, my life is all about poopy diapers, and um, my life is all about um, <clears throat> I feel like more of a taxi, taking kids around everywhere. And um, Listen, I feel you. Hang in there. Hang in there. And, and I know, like, listen, my wife and I, we, we heard a saying, we say it all the time, that, that the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long and the years are short. And I, and I ha- keep having people tell me, man, soak up these times because you're going to want them back. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times they say it to me when I'm like, just, I've had it, you know. And I'm like, tell me that when I'm in a good mood, you know. But, um, but I know, you know, they're going to be teenagers, and then you're gonna, there's going to be other issues that you're going to deal with teen, and, and teen years and, and so forth. And, and you'll never stop being a parent. But, and, I, and, and I know you're, some of you, many of you are discouraged right now, but just hang in there. Hang in there, man. There's, there's other young parents in this, in this campus that, that we, we can come alongside of you, and we can share our problems with you so it makes you realize you're not losing your mind as well. But discouragement that goes unaddressed will keep you from celebrating life and enjoying precious moments. Discouragement creates a life of, dis, of discont, discontentment when you're not, never satisfied. That's what discouragement can do. So um, I played football in high school, and... Um, I know I didn't. I don't look like it, but I did, and I was I was actually de- de- decent. Um, dynamite, baby, dynamite. Um, listen, <clears throat> we 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 went to homecoming, and when you go to homecoming, you know before you go, you could do a meal somewhere, and uh, I think I took a hit in the game before the week before, and man, I was jacked up all up and down here, man, and so we're at this place called Samurai Japanese uh, Steakhouse and Restaurant, and I love Japanese food, man, and. And um, 
so we're all sitting there and and uh you know we all got you know pimples on our face and and we're all uh you know we're we're just we're just kids and and we're we're sitting there and um and they're cooking the food in front of us and the flames are going up and everything looks so good and then to, but to me it looked gross man i was like dude i just want to get out of here you know i'm i'm not going to be able to get even jiggy with it tonight at at the at the dance cuz i'm just so like I was so jacked up, man, that everything in front of me, even though I loved it, I couldn't eat it. And I didn't even want to eat it. And it didn't even look good to me. So discouragement has the same negative on your life perspective that physical sickness has on your appetite. As it makes you focus on one negative thing and you forget about all the good things happening around you. Some of you are so focused on the one negative thing in your life right now that you cannot see God's hand of blessing all around you. Go visit a cancer center for kids and tell me how bad your life is. And I'm talking, I'm preaching to my I'm preaching to the preacher right here, man. Cuz I I I I do it at the same time. You know, being a pastor, it's amazing the things that people say to pastors. They don't say it to anyone else, but well, they just feel like they can open up and 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 criticize. And man, I you I can get ten of you to come up here and tell me how awesome I am, and I get one person to say, "Man, you stink. You need some more work." And I would focus on that one person and forget about all the ten. When you allow discouragement to go unchecked, you're not living. As God intended, it sidetracks you from really living. Discouragement is a thief that steals your joy. We talked about this briefly last week, but there's one more effect of discouragement that I'd like to talk more about. Number two, final point, discouragement exposes you to temptation. It makes you vulnerable. When you're discouraged, your spiritual barriers are low. You're more likely to give into temptation. Have any of you ever had a bad day at work or at home? And you drive by Krispy Kreme? And that light of hell is on? Listen. I'm just saying, flames are, flames are red and orange, and that's what that sign is. You had a bad day, and you're like, you know what? I don't care. I'm getting my donut. Not just one. Man, it's been a bad week. I'm getting a stinking dozen. It's cheaper that way anyway. I'm saving money. God will be, God will be thankful for me. <clears throat> Listen, Tim Hawkins, the Christian comedian, calls Krispy Kreme donuts baby angels. And you're just like, I'm just, I don't care. I'm just letting myself go. Think about it. When you give into temptation, chances are pretty high that you were discouraged about something. Let me give you an example. When I was single, and man, I, was, I even started ministry being single, and it's tough. I was I was a senior pastor in in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and when you're a senior senior pastor and you're single, it's tough, man. And uh, but even before that, you know. Uh, we're, we're meant for relationships, you know, whether that's, uh, 
you know, marriage relationships are not. We're just meant for relationships. And, and I didn't know anybody out there, and I was, I was lonely. And, and, uh, uh, but but even, even the time after I graduated college and I was living in San Francisco, and um, uh, I found myself single, lonely, and thought that unhealthy relationships would be okay for me to be in. Some of you are doing that right now. You're in relationships that you don't need to be in because you're lonely, you're discouraged, and you've let your guard down, you've given into temptation. And you're like, I know I shouldn't be living with this person. I know I shouldn't be dating this person. This person wouldn't be someone that I would marry, but I'm lonely. Just like the song goes. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Listen, I asked Pastor Gage to put me on the worship team. And I even paid him. And he still did not put me on the stage. So anytime I get to sing while I'm preaching, I'm going to do it. But listen, man, I'm crazy. Listen, I'm, uh, anyway. Um, listen, some of you need to do a little in sync. Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye. Don't worry. I'm not going to do any dance moves. I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to do it. Listen, I'm serious, man. You are in, in, you are in a path of destruction because I've been there. And you can justify, I don't care if you're 20, if you're 40, if you're 60, you can still be in unhealthy relationships that you don't need to be in. And you're getting dragged down. And you need to end it. You need to walk away. And that's going to be hard to do, but you need to do it. Because obeying God and living for God is more important than fulfilling the flesh and the sinful desires of our hearts. Four of the very most destructive words we say. I might as well. I'm discouraged. I might as well eat that. I might as well drink that. I might as well buy that, steal that, lie about that, click on that website, take that. I might as well harm myself. I might as well take my life. I might as well start that inappropriate relationship. I might as well, and the list goes on and on and on. I've been there, man. I have been there. So what is your I might as well right now? I might as well dot, 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 fill in the blank. When you give into temptation, do you feel better? No. Of course we don't. Man, we feel, we feel worse when we give into temptation. You're more discouraged, and then this downward spiral just increases. I wonder how many of you here today, when it comes to discouragement, you battle more often than you would like to admit because you put on a front. And you're like, well, you know, I can't let people know what's going on. I look good. I got a, you know, got a reputation, you know, and, 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 and your Facebook is just one big lie, man. Your fake book. <clears throat> you're not alone even though the enemy wants to isolate you. And that's what I want you to hear today. You're not alone in this. You're not alone. 
the greatest encourager in my life is God's word and being around God's people. You know, how many times have you, do you read the Bridge Devo and you're like, okay, who's watching me right here? Like, it's speaking to me. I, I, uh, I, I, I read that, and then I'll, I have the, the First Five app. I really encourage you to check that out, the First Five app. It's probably one of the best uh, devos out there. It really digs in. Um, you know, I read that. I'm like, wow. Like, God just, God, God, God's word just pierces me. And then I journal. Uh, my, my, best friend, my best friends from childhood were just in here. They left this morning, Jared and Jody, and I've, I've known them all, almost all my life. And I remember... Jared's mom bought me a journal 15 years ago before I started seminary, and that was the first journal I ever had. And I journal every single year. I try to have a journal every year. And, uh, man, I look back and I read those journals, and, man, they're just so rich and so helpful, and they just remind me of how faithful and how good God has been to me. Because we're, for, we're forgetful. We're forgetful. I think about all my precious friends here, and I think about all my friends across the country in ministry. Man, I need them. I need you guys. We need relationships. So if you feel lonely, there's help. There's help. When I look at the scriptures and I see how they're filled with men and women who are trying to pursue God's ways, and and then I see how the enemy used discouragement over and over to deter their passion, it lets me know that I'm not damaged goods. You are so valuable, you can't even fathom. Last page. Glory to God. The greatest heroes of the Bible battle discouragement. Let me read just real quickly about Moses in Numbers 11. It said, Moses, Moses is one of the great fathers of the faith, led the Israelites out of Egypt and was in the wilderness for 40 years. He said, Moses... Heard the people's whining, all those families whining in front of their tents, and I don't know the exact number. You know, some scholars believe it was like several million people. Could you imagine that? Leading that. Moses saw that things were in a bad way. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to deserve this? Did I, con- did I conceive them? Did I make them? Did I, did I birth them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother? Carry them all the way to the land you promised to their ancestors. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Because they just wanted meat. They were sick of the manna from heaven. Like this honey wafer, I can, I can imagine. You get sick of that eating it day in, day out. And they wanted some meat. He said, where, do I, where am I supposed to get some meat? I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All these people. Get this. Let's see if you've ever been this discouraged. If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. That's Moses. If you love me and you care about me, do me a favor and just kill me. So I don't got to deal with this anymore. I'm so glad God didn't just record the victories in the Bible. Listen, if you're discouraged, admit it. Admit it. If you're 
discouraged, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And look at your situation and, and read Psalm 121. Write it down. Read it. And then look at your situation and compare your situation to God's word. God will never grow weary. He will never give up on you. If you're discouraged, don't give in to temptation. Because if you do, listen, some of you are about on the verge right now of making one of the biggest mistakes of your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you do, it could affect the rest of your life. Listen, you can, you can still receive God's forgiveness and grace. But you know what? God's forgiveness and grace also doesn't mean that there's not consequences. Don't do it because it will affect and change your life and the life of your loved ones forever. Some of you are on the verge, on the verge about having an affair with your wife or with your husband. From someone from work, someone maybe in church. You say, people do that? Yeah, we're broken, fallen people. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Pursue your spouse instead of pursuing this other person. Remember your vow. Remember till death do his part. Don't do it. The last two parts of this series, we're going to talk about how to win the war over discouragement. You need to have a plan, a strategy when discouragement creeps in, or else you will fall. Let me close in prayer. God.